Church, it's good to see you today. It's good to be worshiping with you, and I'm thankful for all those who have shared their gifts with us and led us in worship so far. We are indeed continuing this sermon series entitled, Give Me Jesus, where we're looking at different accounts from the Gospels that show us different aspects of the life and ministry of Jesus. And today we're going to look at the transformative offensiveness of Christ. So hear now this reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 48 through 51 and 60 through 69. This is Jesus speaking initially. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who were the ones who did not believe and who was the one who would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of all this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Good stuff. But before we dig into it, let's pray. Lord God, you alone are the Word, and you alone have the words of eternal life. Speak, Lord. Speak to us as we are gathered here today, and speak through us as we are scattered in the world this week. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. So let me ask you, does Jesus offend you? Does Jesus say things that make you wince or embarrass you? Does Jesus say things that confuse you because you really don't understand what he's talking about? And does Jesus say things that unsettle you or even irritate you because you absolutely understand what he's talking about, but you just don't like it? I think anyone who takes Jesus seriously has been offended by him at one point or another, and that's exactly what's happening in this passage. 
The text recounts the events that took place the day after the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. When this crowd forms around Jesus with their stomachs full of bread and their minds full of questions and speculations about who is this Jesus? And Jesus takes this opportunity to turn to the crowd and make some bold declarations about who he is, some unsettling declarations about who they are, and some reorienting declarations about the nature of reality. And even though there are lots of different types of people in that crowd, just like there are lots of different types of people gathered here today, his short little sermon manages to offend them all. And this is one place where I hope that I don't imitate Jesus, but we'll see. Um, First of all, Jesus offends the religiously inclined, those who are filled with religious certainty by saying, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. So here Jesus is making one of his several I am statements that he makes throughout the Gospel of John. Ben preached about one of those last week. And he's intentionally using God's personal name from the Old Testament and referring to himself. That comes from Exodus 3, where God speaks from the burning bush to Moses and commissions him to be his prophet to the Israelites. And Moses says, hey, I I can't go and be the prophet to the Israelites if I don't even know your name. And in response, God thunders, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And now Jesus is appropriating that name for himself. And not only that, but in saying, I am the bread that come down from heaven, he's likening himself to the manna, the manna that God gave the Israelites to to sustain them in their wilderness wanderings. Now, the manna had mythic meaning for the Jews. It was the gift of God that kept them from dying in the desert. It was the tangible testimony of God's great love for them. And now Jesus is saying that I, I am the embodiment of God's love, not only to you, but to the whole world. And that through me, it is the gift of God that not only sustains your physical life, but that grants you eternal life. Now, That may not be totally shocking to you, but the crowd then heard those declarations for what they were, which was a claim to divinity. And their response is, wait a minute, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Mary and Joseph's son, we know him. How can he now say that he's bread come down from heaven? And so the religious folks are up in arms because Jesus is challenging their assumptions about who God is and how God works in the world. But Jesus also offends those who want to reduce the gospel to social programs or political power. Because after Jesus fed the 5,000, many in the crowd wanted to take him by force and make him their kind of king. They wanted to use him for their political program. And Jesus would have none of it because he has zero interest in being a supporting supporting actor in anybody else's political drama. 
And also, some of that hungry crowd followed him into Capernaum, hoping that the Jesus movement would turn into a mobile food distribution program. And Jesus also disappoints them by saying, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus knows that the kingdom life doesn't come from bread alone. You see, Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. To those who confuse faith with their own theological certainties, Jesus insists on pointing to the reality of an unpredictable God whose ways are not like our ways. To those who want to reduce the gospel to personal devotion and right beliefs, Jesus insists on talking about love in action through social ethics and sacrificially serving those on the margin. To those who want to reduce the kingdom to political change and social programs, Jesus insists on talking about the primacy of God, the priority ha of having faith in him, and the poisonous personal reality of sin. And to all of us, Jesus is effectively saying, I am not your mascot. Jesus didn't come to the world in order to conform to the patterns of this earth or to meet our expectations. Jesus came to the earth to call sinners to repentance, to transform us by the renewing of our mind, to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, to set free those who are oppressed, to destroy the works of the devil, and to make all things new. It's no wonder then that those who really hear Jesus, those in history and those today, end up saying things like, that, that's really offensive, or that's crazy, or that's, who can do that? Who can accept this teaching? And after his little sermon, that massive crowd, it quickly and dramatically dwindles down. To paraphrase the Gospel of Matthew, many are called, but few choose to finish. Is that what Jesus wants here? Is that why he says all these disruptive and unsettling and offensive things? Does he want to just thin the crowd? I don't think so. Because when he asks the complaining crowd, does this offend you? He's using an interesting word. He's using the word scandalizo. It's a, it's a word that describes a trap or a stumbling block. And later in John's Gospel, Jesus uses the same word to say this. I have said these things to keep you from stumbling. Jesus teaches this way not because he wants us to stumble, but to keep us from stumbling. Because Jesus wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Jesus says hard things to get us unstuck from unhealthy and unholy ways of living, to jolt us awake so that we'll reconsider, hey, what do I really believe? What do I really desire? And to help us see that the life of God rises up out of the death of self. So right now, you may be angry with Jesus. 
because he's not doing what you want him to do or being who you want him to be in your life or your family, or your career, or in the culture, or in the world. But Jesus has never been about meeting our expectations. Not because he doesn't care about us, but because he does care so very much for us. Jesus isn't going to give us anything that we might want because he wants to give us something beyond what we could ask or imagine. Our sin and unbelief are a deadly spiritual cancer. And Jesus is a good physician. Now you may not always like his bedside manner, but he is simply unwilling to make us comfortable while we die. He means to heal our spirits completely and make us nothing less than holy. Ironically, the fact that Jesus is so often disturbing and challenging actually does confirm that he's real and that he's really God. As pastor and author Tim Keller puts it so well, he says, only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle, as in a real marriage or friendship, will you know that you have gotten hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination. To stay away from Christianity or from Christ because part of the Bible's teaching is offensive to you assumes that if there is a God, he wouldn't have any views that upset you. Does that belief make any sense? So, how do we respond when Jesus disturbs us and offends us and unsettles us? Actually, John chapter 6 gives you many places where you could stand. Do you see yourself standing with those who question Jesus' claims that he is the son of the living God and want to insist, yeah, that's just Mary and Joseph's son. He's just a good person, a good teacher. Or do you stand with the crowd that ate the free bread but turned back when the teaching got hard? This can happen when we hunger for the things that God gives us, but we don't hunger for God. This can happen when we won't allow Jesus to challenge us enough to change us. This can happen when we know the words of Jesus and even like the words of Jesus, but we just don't trust Jesus enough to do those words. And ultimately, that part of the crowd the part that didn't believe, they turned back and no longer went about with him. And finally, maybe you want to stand with the twelve. As the doubters and the fans wandered away, Jesus looked at his twelve disciples and said, Do you also wish to go away? Can you imagine being one of the twelve that day? with that question hanging in the air? How would you have answered that? For that matter, how have you answered that question from Jesus in your life, in the past year, in the past month, in the past week? Because many of us have stood in Peter's shoes, right? Full of disappointment, 
weariness and confusion, only to be confronted by a loving Savior who says, do you still want to believe in me? Do you still want to follow me? And in that awkward silence and prayer or some other place, maybe you've even wondered, what would it be like to follow someone else, to construct your own truth, to manufacture your own system that's, you know, just a little more scientific maybe, a little more sophisticated, a little more socially acceptable, something that's just, you know, just less offensive. The Apostle Peter is such a good model for us here because even though he may not understand everything that Jesus is saying, and he certainly doesn't obey everything that Jesus commands, and even though he's often far from certain about what Jesus is talking about and the life that he's calling him into, even though Peter is so very much like every single one of us, he grabs hold of the person and words of Jesus he doesn't make the mistake of putting understanding before faith, but he lets his faith guide him into understanding. And Peter responds, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Who else would love us while we were still enemies? Who else would seek us when we were lost? Who else, what other shepherd would lay down his life for sheep like us? Who else would suffer for our sins, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God? In his moment of disorientation and decision, Peter clings to the confounding reality of Christ. The words of Jesus, offensive, prophetic, holy, healing. They mark the path of transformation for us too. The words of Jesus, they not only fed that crowd, they will feed us. The words of Jesus not only change the weather on that stormy lake, they will change us. The words of Jesus not only raised Lazarus from the grave, they will raise us up. And the words of Jesus not only sent Peter and Paul to the mission field, they will equip us and send us out into the world to love others and to love God and give glory to Him by the way that we live. In our moments of disorientation and decision, we won't stumble if we trust the sin-killing life-giving words of Jesus. And then we can say along with Peter, we have come to believe and to know, Jesus, that you are the Holy One of God. Amen.